Welcome to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first time, raise your hand. Okay, so all of y'all that are your norms, look around. See how many new people we are? That's because this weekend we had the opportunity to host the Anchor Mission USA conference. Let's give them a round of applause. Um, as, as most of you know, uh, I worked at a church in Nashville for three, uh, for three years called Anchor Fellowship, and it's part of a larger friendship of churches and ministers kind of around the country, and every year uh, we come together just to share what God's doing, um, and, and this year, like kind of late summer, I was talking to my friend Brian, who uh, is the pastor up there in Nashville, and, and I said, you know, I would really love maybe for us to host it this year. We've had this amazing building, and, and a huge part of why we got this space is that we want to be able to bless other people. And so not only have we been able to offer them space, not only did many of you attend and show up and, and kind of experience the goodness of the worship and the, and the word that um, Jason Peaks brought to us, um, but you served. You served chili, you served coffee, you prayed, you set up the space, you cleaned up the space like there was a, unfortunately a toddler that peed on a, on, a, on a chair in the back and you took care of that. So I, <laughs> I'm a really proud dad this morning. I'm so proud of you um, for this heart of, of service that you guys have. And I, I, just, really, I just really affirm that. Um, I think the Lord wants to do a lot of really good things uh, this morning. You see, we're like, what are we, four or five months into this morning? I'm like finally getting it instead of going like this evening. And then you look out and you're like, okay, never mind. Um, but uh, so several things. Um, I had uh, something on my heart for about six months that I thought was going to fit well in this series that we're doing called Form, which is about taking uh, the, the, the shape of Jesus. What does that actually look like for us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ? And, and I had this thing that was on my heart for six months. And then I had a conversation with our elder, Greg, on Tuesday, and that just went right out the window. Uh, but it was so good. I, I left that conversation really challenged and encouraged, and as I was driving back over here uh, to work on my message, I felt like the Lord gave me some new insights. So maybe for like the second time ever, I'm only going to use one passage of Scripture in my entire sermon. Um, but it's, I think it, I'm really excited about what God wants to do um, in us and through us today. Um, and I think secondly, being here uh, this weekend, Friday evening and then all day yesterday, listening to what Jason had put on, uh, what was on Jason's heart uh, for Anchor Mission, what so many people were, were speaking in conversation, I think this is a very appropriate word. You know, do you believe that the Lord goes before us and he already begins to, to weave together all of our individual stories and something kind of comes out of it that we can keep claiming our coincidences? You, you have the freedom to do that or you can choose to see the divine hand going on ahead of you and beginning to bind all of us together. And I think that that's really what the Lord is uh, doing for us here. Um, so I'm going to pray and we're going to launch into this. So Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you are here, that you are with us, that you are for us, you are not against us. Heavenly Father, we open up our hearts to receive your truth. We open our ears to hear your voice. We open our eyes to see you move. We open our minds to receive your goodness. Whatever you want to do here in this place, Lord, we give you full reign to move freely. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so in this series, Form, as we've been talking about how do we take the shape of Christ, this is kind of what 
my uh, thesis is for us today. The kingdom of God forms us from the inside out. The kingdom of God forms us from the inside out. What are we talking about when we talk about the kingdom? Sometimes in scripture we see the kingdom of God, sometimes we see kingdom of heaven, and a lot of times we hear heaven and we think, Jesus came to save me from my sins so I can go some other place when I die. Guess what, that's not the gospel. So sorry. Matthew chapter four, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In a modern language, you might say, change the way that you think, change the way that you see, because the reality of God is so close that you can practically touch it. When we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, this is what we're talking about, the new reality of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus, that all we have to do is reach out and touch it, and we touch eternity. But this kingdom of God, this revolution of, of, of the Messiah, it starts within us and it works outside of us. So my uh, passage for us this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, again, another divine coincidence. On our prayer uh, wall inside the little prayer room there, someone had already written up the passage that I was going to use this Sunday. So that's kind of cool. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. You know it? So if that's you, you don't have to raise your hand. But <laughs> um, So... Paul is kind of in this conversation about, um, you know, the, the Ephesians. I've, I've told you many times about how much I love Ephesians, that he starts with this huge kind of 30,000-foot view of what it is that God is doing through Christ, and he begins to hone it in a little bit more and a little bit more uh, to what it means for us as the church. And Ephesians 3 sits in this really beautiful place between this very large picture of God's story and then kind of the therefore when we go into Ephesians 4 and talking about what does it mean for us to be the church. Um, and, and in verses 10 and 11, he says this. He's talking about us uh, and our purpose as the church, kind of moving from the story of Israel into the story of God's people, kind of reimagined. And he says this. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And she's going to begin to really talk to us about what does it mean that through the church, the wisdom of God, Christ himself, is revealed. And it's through the church from the inside out that we begin to see this. And I, I love that time and again, what we've seen in Paul and has become the obsession of my life is recognizing that through intimacy with God, God as our source, communion with him, we learn not only to affirm our identities, which I think is actually rather easy, to say, yes, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, I'm his image. Not only to affirm our identity, but to begin to inhabit that identity, to swim around in it, to discover what it is. And it's through that same intimacy with God that we inhabit our identity, and then our purpose is something that naturally arises out of that same intimacy. That you and I, as the people of God, do not seek to discover our identities by working really hard, hoping that we'll impress God or that we can somehow enter into his family, or that we can manifest his kingdom by our own works. But we recognize the things that we are called to do are the natural outpouring of who we have been declared to be because of what he has done on our behalf. And so this is kind of the flow that Paul begins to use as he prays for this church in Ephesus, looking at intimacy to identity to purpose. So I want to take this next passage, and I just want to break it down into those three pieces and, and really begin to examine um, that flow and how, what it speaks to us about not only being formed in the likeness of Christ and that process, but also why. What's the point? 
And so we're going to, you know, a few weeks ago I talked about Lectio Divina. I'm going to read um, each of these passages kind of slowly. And I just want us to open up uh, our hearts to allow the Lord already to begin to speak to you uh, about what this might uh, point on specifically within your own story. And I just want to speak about some of the revelations that I've had in this passage. So we're going to begin um, in Ephesians chapter 3. And we're just going to talk about intimacy looking at uh, verses 14 to 17a. For those of you keeping track at home. So just close your eyes and just put your hands out in front of you in a posture of reception. Just keep fully in this moment, release all of the, 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 the guilt and the regret of the past, release all of the worry and anxiety of the future, just be fully here present with the Father and with one another. This is Paul's prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family on, in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'll read it one more time. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Thank you, Father, that you welcome us into an intimacy with you, that you are a real and living God who's present to us right in this very moment. You're not an idea, you're not a concept, you're not a construct, but you're a person, three in one. Teach us how to step into deeper intimacy. Amen. So what does this speak to us about intimacy? God is the source and destination of all of this, but we have to choose to see, to open ourselves to see it. You know, Jesus speaks in Revelation of being the Alpha and the Omega, the, the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. And we recognize that not only is God our source, but he's also our destination. And that little bit in the middle, that's us. That's the place that we begin to interact with God as revealed in Christ. As we begin to open ourselves to allow the Spirit to work in us and through us. But we have to choose to to see that. We have to choose to recognize that very big story that stretches out on either end into eternity. If we don't choose to see that, if we don't do the work to practice the presence of God, we believe that we worship a God who tends to make cameos in our story. Do you ever feel that? You're kind of going along and you're doing your thing and you know sometimes even our prayer language betrays this, doesn't it? Say, God, would you just please show up? Or we talk about it like, man, God really showed up yesterday. Who did the showing up? Who actually showed up? Because you see, in this beautiful story we have in Scripture, it begins and ends with God. We're the ones that showed up in the middle of it. Or like Jacob, we fall asleep. We have this dream. We see the heavens uh, being united with the earth, and we wake up, and we say, God was present in this whole place, and I, I was not aware of it. 
But our God does not make cameos. Our God does not sit on top of a mountain somewhere and every once in a while we bother him enough, we do the rain dance so that maybe he'll actually pay attention to us and give us what we want. Those are the gods that we were delivered from, amen? How many of you have pagan ancestors? How many of you got like really into like frog worship? Those are the gods that we were delivered from. The gods that are kind of like us, they're a little bit stronger, uh, but essentially they struggle with the same things that we do. They're kind of jealous, they're kind of angry, and every once in a while, maybe they'll show up and they'll do something for us. But our God, Yahweh, the God revealed in Christ, does not make cameos. He's here present with us. That When we talk about Jesus as the word of God, he's the animating force that kind of holds all of this together, that moves history in this direction of complete union between God and his creation. And I love that Paul begins his prayer by talking about a Trinitarian God. You know, we've said many times that the the doctrine of the Trinity isn't something that's spelled out in Scripture. It's something that we've kind of arrived at because of this experiential knowledge of God. But he kneels before the Father. He recognizes that the Father is the source. And then he prays that God will strengthen us through the power of his Spirit. So the active hand of God at work within us is, is his Spirit. So that, what's the purpose? That Christ may dwell in our hearts. So we have God the Father, we have God the Spirit, and God the Son, we see this beautiful dance that we're being welcomed into. And while there's a beautiful distinctiveness to each um, element of the Trinitarian God, he works in concert with himself for our salvation in total harmony. And so we recognize within ourselves God the Father moving, God the Spirit moving, God the Son moving. And it begins to open us up more and more to receive more of Christ. We must open our inner world to Jesus. Let him translate us so that he might radiate from us. I think too often we get stuck translating Jesus based on our culture. For too long, and it's, it's almost not even interesting to me anymore to bash the Western church and the evangelical church or whatever, but we'll just go ahead and keep doing it until we get over it. (laughs) But we acquiesced to culture. We allowed culture to set the template and the standard for what's going on in the world. And then we tried to fit Jesus into that picture. We talked about trying to make Jesus relevant or cool. Guess what? Jesus is not relevant or cool. He's kind of cool. He's kind of cool. Okay, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Fair enough. But what we've done is that we've, we've started outside of God's story in the culture surrounding us, and we've tried to translate Jesus. And what inevitably happens time and again is that we just find a Jesus that props up the things that we already believed. So why do we come to church? Because we just want to be affirmed that we're right, that we know what we're talking about, that God is on our side, that this nation is a Christian nation. Whoops. But we tame Jesus. We make him small because our starting point is not God's story. Our starting point is not his kingdom. Our starting point is not his reality. And we've reduced him to something that just justifies whatever we already believe about ourselves. But I, beloved, I love in this passage that, that Paul says that it, you will be, it's the power of his spirit in your inner being. I believe that the inner being, that's the realm of the contemplative. That's where it all happens. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the contemplative. We're talking about learning to listen to the heartbeat 
of God. We're learning to get to that, the innermost being, that place where Christ is dwelling within you right now. Maybe you don't fully realize it, but to begin to listen to the heartbeat of God. Because when that becomes our starting point, not the culture outside of us, not what other people are telling us that we're supposed to be, but we begin by listening to the heartbeat of God present within us as Christ. It transforms the way that we begin to perceive everything else. Over the past year, um, I've been studying uh, some of my own lineage and heritage and the rescue from the pagan ways in Celtic Christianity. And the Celtic mystic J. Philip Newell says this, in listening, we will hear falseness and confusion, selfishness and violence of heart. But deeper still is the love that utters all things into being. It is so good. I think this is why so often we're afraid of what we begin to hear when we start to listen to our innermost being. Because it's been covered over by all of the noise of our interior lives. As soon as we begin to turn in, we kind of hit that wall. We start to see those bricks that have been made up of years of abuse and neglect, of all of the lies that we've heard from outside of us, and we very quickly turn back out because we can't stand it. But if we would only have the patience and the fortitude to pull that apart brick by brick, to continue to go deeper into our innermost being, we can find the heartbeat of God and the starting point for what he's calling us to. This is why it is so imperative that we embrace silence, that we embrace rest, that we embrace stillness, that we seek to go a little bit deeper than what we're finding on the surface, even on the surface of our own hearts, even on the surface of our soul. I remember several years ago uh, when I was doing the Anchor School of Ministry and, and, and talking to my students about um, the spiritual discipline of silence, and I'd say, how many of you, you know, practice silence and meditation? And say, oh yeah, it's so great, like I'll go home, I'll sit on my bed, I'll put on my headphones, I'll listen to a worship album, and I'm like, uh, let's try this again. Um, Tom York from Radiohead has this line, uh, I think it's on OK Computer, he talks about the refrigerator buzz. You know that sound? And how much is the world full of the refrigerator buzz? And it's not always noise, it's not always sounds, but there's so much around us that distracts us, that keeps us from turning in, that tells us, no, no, the answers are found outside of you, they're somewhere else, listen to me. And sometimes we embrace that noise and we become addicted to it. We make it necessary for our lives. And so we actually don't know what to do when we encounter true silence. We don't know what to do with our hands when we're called into a space of actual rest. Cole was sharing on Thursday that, you know, you know many of us, when we're, even when we're trying to sleep, we, we inhibit ourselves with all of these different noises. We have these machines that make noise so we can fall asleep. But he began this process of actually starting to use, going the opposite direction, of using um, earplugs. And he says he slept better than ever before. Because we make ourselves addicted to this noise. And again, it's not always audio noise. Sometimes it's visual noise. Sometimes it's entertainment. Even this week, the president in his speech talked about our addiction to social media. And you know if America's dad is talking about something, you know, it's, we're kind of over it. But there's so much noise in our lives, and I think sometimes we use that noise in order to hide ourselves from Jesus, in order to hide ourselves from God, because we believe the lie that a life lived on the surface is one in which we can survive, and survival is good enough. 
But what does that inner chaos do to our external reality? When you're chaotic on the inside, when you're full of noise on the inside, what does that do when you begin to encounter the world the way that it actually is? We are unfocused. We're distracted constantly. We're disoriented. We get so trapped in gazing at what's right in front of us instead of seeing what's within us that we lose our starting point. But we must let Christ dwell in our hearts and begin to listen for the heartbeat of God to change our starting point, our grounding of our definition and identity. Because if we don't, we keep handing over the right to the world to define who we are. We're going to let everybody else tell us who we are, except for that still small voice within us. And so Paul begins this prayer with intimacy, and now we're going to step into the identity portion. Ephesians 3:17b to 19. So again, just close your eyes, put yourself in a posture to receive, and let's go into that deeper place. Begin to listen to our inner being. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Read it one more time. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, I pray that you continue not only to affirm us in our identities, but teach us how to inhabit them. To discover what our identity in Christ means, not just in a church on a Sunday, but in the office on Monday. When we're alone on Wednesday. When we're with our friends on Thursday. Wherever we might be, Lord, we need to know what that identity feels like. Amen. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I love that Paul puts that into this phrase, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So many people have written about this, grasping how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And one of my favorite ways of looking at it is to say, how wide is the love of Christ in that it is for everyone? that the love of Christ stretches across all of the little categories that we place people in. All of our senses of tribalism cannot stand in the presence of Christ. That's how wide his love is. How long is the love of Christ? Not only does it stretch into the future where we have full union of God and the reconciliation of all things, but it stretches all the way behind us to the very beginning where God spoke the world into existence. That's how long the love of Christ is, that it stretches into eternity in both directions. How high is the love of Christ? That it reaches up into heaven. That it reaches into the throne room of God. And it places us there right at his feet. How deep is the love of Christ? That it goes into the maw of death. It goes all the way down to Sheol. It goes all the way down into hell. Into complete separation from God. In order to liberate us 
and to bring us into relationship with him? How do we know this love that surpasses knowledge? How do we know it? It's something that we have to experience. And it's not something that we can wrap our heads around. It's not something that we can easily define. I believe that love, while being one of the most universal concepts in the entire universe, is also the hardest to define. I did premarital counseling with some folks this week, and we talked about that. How do you define love? How do you define love when you're 19? How do you define love when you're 23? How do you define it when you're 30? How do you define it when you're 70? It's always changing, but we know there's some sort of trajectory to discovering what love is. And I do believe that there comes a, a switch in our definition of love, where we even open ourselves up to the reality that part of the definition of love is the exploration of love itself. That we don't arrive at a definition of love. But it's in the exploration of love itself that we find a a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. And so our inner revelation roots us in God's reality beyond all else. And what do we call this togetherness with God? What do we call this inner revelation of realizing God within us, working in us and through us, that takes our starting point and moves it from the world or from our, you know, the outside forces and begins to move